Hallelujah. Well, it's Wednesday night, Bible study. We're going to do some Bible study tonight, so hopefully you brought your Bibles. And uh, if you did, open them up. We're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Exodus tonight. Our uh, message, the title of tonight's message is, is The Glory in the Tabernacle. The Glory in the Tabernacle. It's important that we recognize the importance of the glory, and we'll see that in the messages as we go through tonight, and how that's so impactful to our walk, to our unity, to our ability to serve, to our ability to carry out the will of God, and also for our ability to impact those around us. Without the glory, without that manifest presence, without that evidence, we're, we're, we're speaking rote, it's dry. We need the glory of the Lord to be able to do what he's called us to do. And this is probably going to be the first of several messages, although I don't know when the next time I'll be here to continue the story, but God knows, so we'll just follow his leading. It's kind of fun to see in this transition how the same message is coming through different messengers by the same Spirit and how he brings his, what he wants to say to us through different voices. And uh, Tim and I always marvel at how we... We hear a different title topic, but the same flow of God's will and his purpose towards us. And I expect the same to continue tonight. So we're going to go through a key scripture. We're going to be in Exodus 29, and we're going to read uh, verses 38 to 46. I'm going to read those straight on through. And then we're going to step back and lay some foundation for what that, where that scripture comes from and, and, and some of the background. And then we're going to come back into that scripture and see how it applies to us today. And hopefully we'll get all that done uh, in the time allotted. But at the same token, I don't want to be bound by the notes or bound by the words if there's something the Lord wants to do. Lord, we, we are open. This is your people, this is your sanctuary, and this is your word, and this is your night. So we turn it over to you as we commence. Exodus 29 in verse 38 to 46, says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Now this is God speaking to Moses. This is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour, mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil, and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So for those of you who are online, it'll be a little hard for you to participate tonight, but uh, I may have a few questions and answers for those of you who are here, or I should say questions. Maybe we won't have answers. We'll see what the Lord has for us. 
But as I read that scripture and as you absorbed it, what did you hear? Was there anything in there that impacted you? Anybody shouted out if, if you have something that you heard that said, I hadn't thought of that before or I noticed this in that amount of scriptures. Anybody want to be brave on that? No? Yes. I know it's kind of a new thing to talk during a service, right? <laughs> but it's Bible study. And uh, so if you have something uh, for Amen. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. From the, so for those of you online who may not have heard her, she, she said that what hit her was really how God's will, his purpose, what he desires is that, is that continually he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. That's his hunger. That's his desire in all this. And, and we can get caught up reading the Old Testament and wonder about all these rules and regulations and, and why they exist. But he really, he really, that's his heartbeat, is to be our Lord and our God and our Father. And he wants to be with us and dwell among us. That's what hit me as well as I, as I absorbed this, this set of scriptures. Anything else? Anything along a different line, a different vein? I'll share with you as we go through some of the things that popped out at me in this scripture, but... For those of you who may not be versed in the, the content or the context of this, I think it's important to lay the background. It's important to realize where this is coming from and get a sense of, uh, of, of, of the context here. It's really, it's, it's really vital, I think. So, so as I mentioned earlier, this is Moses, and he's on the mountain of God. And he's been up there in the midst of the mountain for a total amount of time of 40 days and 40 nights. And God is talking to him. And he's laying out a whole bunch of... of, of of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. He's talking about how, to, uh, how the priest should dress and how the tabernacle will be built, even who's going to build the tabernacle, different kinds of sacrifices and rules and laws. And he's going over that with his servant Moses. And uh, as, as Flora pointed out, as we just talked about, he, it's important to really look at the, the goal here. And it's pointed out here in this last verse Uh, that they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am, he repeats, the Lord their God. Now keep in mind that the children of Israel, who he's talking about, have been in Israel enslaved for over 400 years. Think about this nation 400 years ago. The Europeans were first starting to come over 400 years ago. How much has changed during that time period? 400 years. In the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph that happened probably 500 years ago are now legend. They're they're passed on, but they don't really mean anything to this group of people who are now at the base of Mount Sinai. They're stories, fables. Some consider them to be fairy tales. Others believe with all their heart that they're absolutely true. And now God has the task of introducing himself to them and showing them who he really, really is. So we're now going to take a step back to, to the, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, and we're going to see how God introduces himself to these people and what he shows uh, about himself. So we'll start in Exodus chapter 14. So again, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd, I'd like you to, to turn there. If you'd prefer to read them on the screen, that's okay too. 
whatever you're most comfortable with. I'm going to read it most likely from my notes. And by the way, if you do have a question, if something I, I didn't state clearly or you're confused by something, Wednesday night, small group, please uh, shout out. And if I know the answer, I'll tell you. And if I don't, I will get back to you. Um, so so that'd be perfectly fine with me. So we're going to look at Exodus 14 and verse 30 and 31. And this is, this is, this is right after the, the great epic crossing of the Red Sea. So you, we've been through the ten plagues. The Israelites have seen God's hand at work. They don't really know what's going on, but they know that they've been on the victorious side of all of the plagues. And now suddenly uh, the, they've been across the sea and they've seen the waves fall in over their enemies. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Uh, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So if you go back to verse 30, what you can see here is that the Lord saved Israel. Now those words, most of you know, I think the, the, the scriptures were originally written in Hebrew, and the Lord, the word Lord there is, is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. We, we pronounce it Yahweh. Some would say Yehovah or Jehovah. And the second word is, is saved. The Hebrew word saved is Yasha. So you say Yahweh, Yasha, and you put those two words together with Yah and Shah. You get Yasha or Yahshua or Joshua or, or Jesus, the Lord saves. So we see the Lord as first thing he's introducing them to uh, after this great deliverance is that he is indeed savior so that's a that's a great revelation and the people heard this rejoiced in this they feared the lord and they believed uh, moses his servant i'm going to give you the cliff notes as we go through these chapters because our key chapter that we or key text we just read is from exodus 29 so we're going to go through various chapters with just some cliff notes so in exodus 15 the next chapter so three days Following this great celebration into the journey, the people complained to Moses because they ran out of water to drink and whatever water was there where they were was bitter. So we're going to read in Exodus chapter 15, verses 24 to 26. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And so, so he, Moses, cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And then he made a statute and an ordinance for them And there he tested them and said, verse 26, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. So there at the end of that last verse we see the Lord, Yahweh again, and then we see heals, which is Rapha, we see Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. So the Lord has now introduced himself to Israel as Savior or Deliverer, and now he's introducing himself as the one who heals them. But that healing is conditional on them hearing his voice and obeying his commands and doing what, what, uh, what he said to do. So the next chapter, verse 16, now we're six weeks after the great deliverance, six weeks, and into their journey, and they run out of food, and they begin to complain against Moses and Aaron. So in verse, chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven on you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my way or, my, or not. And that shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So that's all we'll read about that. That's the whole story about the manna. And you can go back and study all the details on that. It's phenomenal. But what's really neat is that God said, look, I realize you need food. You know, remember, if you, if you know the story of the Passover, God told Israel, you know, that you've got to prepare this lamb, prepare some bread with unleavened bread, pack your stuff, because after you eat it, you are out of here. They didn't have a lot of time to gather up, you know, three months' worth of food. They had no idea how long they were going to be there, or where there was, for that matter. And, and so, you know, after six weeks, now they're like, well, there's nothing left, dude. I've got to eat something. Now think about the times when you guys have fasted for like a day and a half and then you start cheating, right? You get a little hangry, you have a little snack here and there. These people have been without food for a while and can you imagine where they don't know where they're going and they don't know what they're going to eat? And if you've been to the, I've been to Israel, I haven't been to the Sinai Peninsula, but there's not a whole lot there but rock and heat and cold and, and, and harshness. And so, so they're, they're really anxious and so they're complaining and just, justifiably so. So God says, look, I will provide you bread from heaven, but again, I need you to do it my way, right? So what is, what is this, uh, our bread? Well, obviously we know that uh, Jesus is the bread of heaven, right? And I'm going to read you the scriptures from John chapter 6, verse 28 to 35, in case you're not familiar with these. <clears throat> and then they said to him, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? In 29, Jesus answered them and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And therefore he said to them, What sign shall you perform then, that we may see and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. We just read that in Exodus. Verse 32, Then Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father... He gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So as you read through these Old Testament stories, in many cases they're allegories or or they're types and shadows of the true, which is Jesus. And so we here we see that God has introduced himself to Israel as their provider and as their bread, as their bread from heaven. So they get, they get the manna, they gather the manna appropriately, they get quail, so they have meat to eat, and so now they journey on. A little while later now, in Exodus 17, they, they, they get to Rephidim, and there they run out of, of water again. So, so this is, you know, somewhere between six weeks and three months, Exodus 17, 6 and 7, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, just think about it again. All of this time, they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle and after miracle. But their, their fleshly situation was so 
severe that they're like, now they're like, they don't see any water around. They don't see where they're going. They don't, they don't have any future vision. They, they can't understand. And so they're panicking. Are you here or not? Because we're thirsty, right? They get in the man every day, but now they've got to wash it down with something. I mean, I can understand why they would get angry and why they would cry out to Moses, who's the one who drug him out there to begin with. Right? So, so I'm sympathizing with the situation here. But now Moses, he, he strikes the rock and water flows out. Now, now, now they tell us that there's maybe a couple million people out here. So this isn't just like a little drip, 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 and you're standing there with your water cup. This has got to be a river of living water coming out of that rock to feed two million people and the sheep and the camel and whatever else they brought with them. There's a lot of water coming out of this rock. This is, this is quite a miracle. Now, the Apostle Paul recognized, because he was a student of the law and he understood the Scriptures quite well, he understood the symbolism behind this, and we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Uh, we see, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized in the Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, that's the manna we just talked about, all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spirit from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So again, we see the Lord introducing Israel to himself as a, as a river of living water who will keep them alive and give them the sustenance they need. And we know now, in hindsight, of course, that rock is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Fascinating. A little further down, they get attacked by the Amalekites in chapter 17. And they're struggling with this battle. And this is the battle where, where Moses goes up on the hill with Aaron and her, and, and Moses is holding the rod up, and the battle goes well. And, and he gets tired, and the rod goes down, and the Amalekites start to win. And he holds the rod up again, and the battle goes well. And, and, uh, and so as, as Aaron and her held the rod up for him, the uh, Israelites were ultimately victorious over the Amalekites. In verse 17, chapter 17, verse 15, it says, And Moses built an altar and called the name, The Lord is my banner. This is, you've heard, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He is the name over that battle. Any battle that you, we are going through, Jesus' name is over that. And Isaiah prophesied about this banner being the Lord Christ in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 11. And he said, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Remember, we're talking about the glory of the Lord, and we're seeing time and time again how the Lord is introducing himself to his people and how glorious he really is. So he's providing in every way for them as they go through this journey together. Now, in Exodus 18, uh, Moses is reunited with his family, and he delegates authority to the elders. And uh, they help him judge among the people. And then we move into Exodus 19. Here we see a little bit of a change of scene. The purpose is the same. I will be your God. I will be your Lord. I will dwell among you. And my glory shall sanctify the tabernacle. But God's approach is a little bit different here as we go into Exodus 19. So in the third month, so remember the third month, this is the third month after the great crossing of the Red Sea. So they've now been in the wilderness for three months and they've seen his deliverance. They've seen his 
filling them with water. They've seen him provide for their food. They've seen him help them be victorious in battle. Verse 19, uh, chapter 19 and verse 3 through 8. Uh, you guys still with me? Am I going too fast? You good? <laughs> okay. It's awful quiet. Um, but that's okay. This, it's a fascinating story, so I'm happy to tell it. Uh, chapter three, uh, 19, verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." So let that sink in for a minute. These are the words which you shall say to the children of Israel. Verse 7, So Moses came and called the elders and the people and, and, and laid before them all these words with the, which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So he's delivered them from their enemies. He's brought them to himself. He asks now for some obedience. And if that obedience comes, he now says, look, this is, you will be my special people. You will be a, a, a holy nation and a royal priesthood to me if you obey the commands that I give you to obey. And they said they would do it. It's a lot like when you guys came to the Lord and when I came to the Lord and we said, yes, Jesus, be my Lord. Of course, We'll follow you. We don't know what that means, but we'll do it. It's kind of where they are today. They don't know what that means, but they know enough to say God is God and we are not and we will follow him. And so they, with all of their heart, said we will do it. Now, those of you who have read the Old Testament know they weren't very good at doing it, but that's what they said they would do here and, and, and again in other places. Okay, so let's continue on in chapter 19, verses 16 through 20. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the, at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Think about that picture. Think about the image. Think about the glory of God descending on the mountain in a, in a, in a fearful and awesome way. This is, this is God, and he's, again, pulling his people to himself. But rather than seeing him as provider of food and provider of water and provider of shelter, he needs them to see him for who he is, almighty God, creator, from, uh, with no beginning and no end. 
And so he, he's bringing this, this awesome experience to all the people, not just Moses, who's going to tell them about it, but, but all the people. And in Exodus chapter 20, he begins by telling all the people, while he's at the top of the mountain, the Ten Commandments. So these Ten Commandments weren't just spoken to Moses, but in the hearing of all the people of Israel, the Ten Commandments were spoken. So he's asking for obedience, and he's saying, Here's, look, this is what I expect you to do. Now, those of you who are parents know that you can't expect your child to obey you if you haven't told them what the rules are and what the consequences would be if they don't follow your rules. God knows that. He's our Father. He's telling His children, this is what I expect. And He gives them the Ten Commandments. And after that, in chapter 20, verse 18, we, we read on, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear but let not God speak to us lest we die. And, and, and Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So God is showing himself here as God. He's saying, this is who I am. He's laying down his commandments so they will know him. And he's using that stern voice of a father and of God. And he's using that voice in the presence of all so that it will sink in, so that it's an experience to these people and not just a story. They've heard stories of God for 400 years. They don't know who he is. Now they're getting to experience him. This God is amazing, but he's all-powerful, and he's someone to be feared. But but Moses corrects their fear. He says, look, don't run away from God in fear. Don't run away from your source of life in fear. Run away from the cause of death, which is sin. That's what you need to fear. Fear God because of the sin. And if you run from the sin, you run toward God, you don't have to be afraid of God. It's a, it's a, it's a, it seems like a contradiction in terms when he says that, don't fear, fear. He said, well, but don't, don't run away from God in fear, but run away from the sin that has kept you from God. Fear that, because if you stay in that sin, you will not be in God's presence forever. In fact, the New Testament tells us that if you abide in that kind of living, no man will see the Lord. So run from sin, run to God, and obey his commandments. And that's what he's showing us to do. So then in Exodus 21 through 23, God, God tells Moses a long list of, of laws, social laws and religious laws and different things, ways of living that God wants his people to obey. And he writes them down in what's referred to as the Book of the Covenant, which, which all the people agree to follow when, when he reads, reads this book to them. Now, before we move on in the story and, and see where this glory really manifests on the mountain, and before we get to our key verse, I want to summarize where we are, and I want to ask you where you think we are as a church today. Because, because they cried out, Israel did, uh, when, when, their, when their enemies, the Egyptians, were about to consume them, and, and God showed himself as Savior. We all can relate to God as our Savior. So they complained when the water was too bitter to drink, and he showed himself as healer. They complained when they ran out of food. He showed himself as bread from heaven. They struggled in battle, and they showed himself, he showed himself as their banner. They, 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 they failed to trust God and fully obey, and he showed himself 
as Lord. They drew back in fear, yet he called out and said, No, I want to make you my own special people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So we can sit back and look at that story and say, Boy, how did they miss it after all those miracles? And, and, and my question to you is, is, is before we judge them, we need to learn from them. How, how often have you complained to God when it felt like an enemy at work was closing in upon you and you weren't winning that battle? He hasn't delivered you out of that situation that you've prayed and prayed for. How, 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 have you ever gotten disgruntled with God because you didn't get the healing that you expected to get? Have you complained to God about that? How much time do you spend worrying about your bread, the, the paycheck you get on a Friday afternoon, once a week, once a month, however you often you get paid? How much time do we spend laboring for our bread here and not so much time with the bread of heaven, the word of God, spending time with the Lord himself? Do we, do we argue with God when the battle was going poorly? Do we expect our pastors and elders to do all the praying, to hold up that rod? Or are we willing to pray through and press through when there's a battle coming against us. Not to say there's not power in the prayer of agreement, but how much work do we actually do? Ah, does the world see us as a people of God, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Where are we in all of this? Food for thought. It doesn't mean that we missed it or that God's will isn't presented here. It means that we're not yet walking in it and it's something to press into. So there's good news in all of that. Let's continue on with our story. We're going to go to Exodus 24, continue there. And uh, here we're going to see that God is going to call the elders and leaders to a higher place on the mountain. Exodus 24, verse 9. Then Moses went up and also, note who went with him, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, his two older sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel. (coughs) Excuse me. And look at this. They saw the God of Israel... And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was, it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, God did not lay his hand. So they, they the, the, the 70, they saw God and they ate and drank. That's amazing. God obviously put, a, put, put the, I don't know, an invisible wall or whatever it was that kept them safe while, while they were near him so that his glory, so that his, his, his presence wouldn't consume them. And then, and then he said, in verse 12, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone in the law and commandments, which I have written, that you may teach them. And look at this, verse 13. So Moses arose, and who went with him? Was it Aaron? No. Was it Nadab and Abihu? No, Joshua went with him, his assistant. Well, who's going to take over after Moses? Joshua, how appropriate that he he was privileged to go up with Moses. And Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you, and if any man has difficulty, let them go to him. And then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Interesting that they didn't wait for him. They went back down, and because Moses took so long, you know the story, they made it, took all the gold, made the golden calf, called it Elohim, began to worship it, and uh, God was pretty angry with all of that. And uh, not only did Aaron, who was the leader of all that, fail, having just eaten and drank in the presence of God, astounding, 
But his sons, Nadab and Abihu, we would learn later on, would offer strange fire to the Lord, and they would be consumed by fire because they were out of order in, this, in, the, in the order of worship. So just because you've experienced the presence of God doesn't make you safe. It should help. <laughs> it should help. But it doesn't mean that you are an automatic in. All right, let's go on. Let's, let's leave that alone. Now, verse, 20, uh, verse 16, Now the glory of the Lord rests... Now, this is where we're getting to the glory, the glory, the glory. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Can you imagine Moses and, and perhaps Joshua was with him? Well, there's one day, nothing happening. It's day two, getting hungry, nothing happening. Day three... Can you imagine? I mean, us today, you know, if the drive through window takes more than three minutes, we're like, come on! And here they are day after day after day. But they are obedient to wait. God said, come up. And they came up, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And then on the seventh day, on the seventh day, God called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and nights. Wow. The glory of the Lord. Something to be hungering for. Something to be... Co- the, the, the glory of the Lord, the consuming fire, should be seen in, in the church today. And I'll show that to you in the next time we get together. But that's, that's something that we need to have continually. The glory of the Lord as a consuming fire. So this is where in these 40 days that Moses is now receiving all of these instructions as we started our message tonight. And I want to go back to our key text and I'm going to read it again. And then we're going to break it down a little bit in the time we have left. So we're going to go back to Exodus 29 now and in, in the midst of all these instructions. And we're going to start in verse 38 again. Now, this, again, God talking to Moses, this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil. And one-fourth of a hint of wine is a drink offering. And, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning. For a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you and speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory." So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So look at this. First at the, the bottom half of that set of scriptures, what we see is that the Lord will meet us at the door of the tabernacle. This is where he, he's going to spend time with us, at the door. 
And, and I don't have time to pull all the scriptures out, the corollaries here in the New Testament. But, but obviously, John chapter 9 and 10, you know, Jesus says, I am the door. You know, you can't come in any other way but come in through me. But if you come in through me, you will be saved. And if you are saved, you can come and go freely because you are in me. Jesus said, I am the door. This is where God will meet with us at the door of the tabernacle. Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? So in his presence, so he wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be among us. He wants us to be dwelling with him. He wants this to be a relationship. It's not something, it's funny when you read, I think it's in Ephesians where, uh, where God says, he's far above all principalities and powers. And I used to read that and think that's because he's way up there in heaven. No, he's not far above like physically way up there. He's far above them in authority. But the Lord is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's in all places at once. He's nearer to us than our breath. That's how close the Lord is. So where is his glory? Something that we'll learn. How do we bring that about? How do we, how do we make that a lifestyle for us? So he wants to meet with us and speak with us. And, 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 and his in his presence is where his glory is. You won't find his glory somewhere else. You find his glory in his presence. So his glory is here. It's available to us, but we need to learn how to make it manifest. It's available. And it's in his glory that he sanctifies his temple, his tabernacle. What does that mean? Well, we talked last time we were, we were together about sanctification, about set, separating it, setting it apart, making it a place of holiness. It's different from any other place in the world, and what makes it different is his presence. So his presence sanctifies or sets apart the tabernacle. Anytime someone comes through these doors, they should say, this is a different place because this place is sanctified because his presence is here. That's how it should be when people come in. And those who reject it, it would be like a consuming fire. But those who receive it, it would be the warmth of love. I remember when Deb and I came here for the first time. And I remember that sense as we sat down and began to listen to the praise and to the music. I I said, wow, this is for us. And there's a sense that this is the place that love is building. This is the place where God wants us. It was different than the other places we had gone to worship. And that's how it should be for all who come in here because it's sanctified by his presence. He also sanctifies his priests with his presence. Who are his priests today? We are, right? We are. We are the go-between between the world who doesn't know him and him. We are the priests. And he, his presence is what makes us that, not because we know the word or read the Bible or because we come to church. It's his presence that sets apart, sets us apart. We need to dwell in that presence and be ever mindful of where he is and who he is and that he is indeed in us, nearer to us than our, than our breath. That glory, it's, it's the manifest evidence. It's that encounter with God. When I said that sinner's prayer, I had an encounter with God. It shook me to the core. Didn't change me right away, much like Aaron and, and Nadab and Abihu. They had that encounter with God. They weren't fully changed. It didn't change me right away in, in, the, in the way I walked, in the way I lived. But over time, that seed grew. It grew. It grew. And I began to realize what had happened to me. It's an encounter that we all need because this world is going to be shaken. And we are going to be challenged as to why we believe what we believe. And we have to know that we know that we know who he is. And with that 
glory sanctifying us when we stand and say what we believe that glory will be manifest too and those we say it to will recognize that we are not just silly Galileans but we have been with the Lord. Amen. It's good stuff. So that's the good part of this scripture but I want to show you the part that's more challenging which is the beginning part. We started in verse 38, um, and we're not going to go back and read it all, but the first thing we see is that there's a, there's a burnt offering required. There's a lamb. There's two lambs, actually, one in the morning and one in the evening. And the word says continually. We're to continually bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And he describes it as a lamb. And, and, then, and, then, and then, of course, we know that the lamb is, is, is important because, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So the lamb is shedding its innocent blood. It's the lamb of the first year, implying that it's, that it's an innocent lamb. I don't know what a guilty lamb looks like, but let's assume the first year lamb is innocent, right? So, so it's, it's shedding of innocent blood to cover over the sins of the guilty, which was all of the people uh, and certainly all of us outside of Christ. So he required that continual shedding of bread, blood as a criteria for his presence at the door of the tabernacle where his glory would abide. And then we see this thing called, called a grain offering. It's, it's, it's a, a one-tenth of an ephah of flour. I didn't know what it was. I had to look it up. An ephah, I mean. I knew what flour was. <laughs> and, and it's also called an omer. It's about three and a half pounds. Uh, so taking three and a half pounds or three and a half of those bags of King Arthur flour or whatever you use, right, about that much, and, and then mixing it with a, with a, a tenth of a hin of oil. How big is a hen? Well, it's, a, it's about a gallon. Oh, so it's a quarter of a hen. And so it's about a quart of oil and three and a half pounds of flour. You mix all that together, and that becomes your grain offering, right? And, and so, so, so that's, uh, that's also morning and evening with, with, with both, both the lamb uh, in the morning and the evening. And then we also see a drink offering as a sacrifice, morning and evening. This is a quarter of a hen of wine, which is about, again, a quart of, of, of wine, both in the morning and the evening. And, and these were brought daily to the tabernacle by, by, by the, all the people. So, so the sacrifice is that, that the people of God are bringing all this stuff that they value, food and oil and flour, to offer as a sacrifice to God. That's what they're bringing. Now we know that this applies to us in a different way. We know that Jesus becomes the Lamb of God for us, right? I mean, it's clear that these sacrifices came to an end when Jesus came to the earth, right? We don't, we don't do that anymore, thank the Lord. Um, and, and I don't, wouldn't know how to raise a lamb. So. <laughs> uh, so, so that's not what we need today, but we know that God provided the lamb for us. He shed his blood once and for all for us. We, we know that when, when we celebrate communion, he, he takes the, the bread right, the, the, the grain offering, if you will, and says, take, eat, this is my body, which is sacrificed for you. We, we know that he, he's represented in that, in that grain offering. And, of course, the, the wine, symbolic of take my cup of the new covenant, this is my blood, whenever you drink it, drink it in remembrance of, of me. So we see the grain offering in the drink offering, and we see the burnt offering in the Lord. And, and the oil, the oil, of course, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, so he, we pour out the oil daily uh, into his people. Uh, as he left, as he sacrificed himself, he said, it's better that I go, that I can pour out the oil into as many people as the church can bring, like, like the widow. As many jars as you can get will fill with oil. So he'll pour out that oil. 
So, so, so God has provided all of, these, all of these sacrifices. So you sit back and say, well, then, then what's the point? Why, why, why do we, what, you know, if the sacrifices are provided, what, what do we bring? It's already done, right? And we can, we can erroneously think that because Jesus did what he did, we don't have to do anything. And I think that's where we lose the glory. Because we, at, at the beginning, say, yes, Lord, I'll be your Lord. But as we grow and learn, there are some things we need to shed and some things we need to take on. It's called obedience. We need to start to obey the Lord and do what he said. Otherwise, when you said, Jesus, be my Lord, you didn't really mean it because you still want to be your own Lord. But if Jesus is your Lord, that means you're going to obey what he says to do. You're going to put some substance behind your confession. So that daily continual sacrifice is necessary on our side too, not in the form of lambs and, and blood and oil and wine, in the form of your being, your being obedient. These are the sacrifices that we bring. And in the time we have left, we'll share a few examples of that. Uh, let, let, let's start with, with, the, with the greatest commandment. Uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40. It begins with, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let me ask you guys something. What do you do to show that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? How does that look in your walk? Think about your week. How much time have you spent with him? Those of you who are blessed to be married or have been married, my wife and I, we spend a lot of time together. We love to spend time together. And when we have the opportunity to spend time together, we do because we love each other. This says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God in a way that's even greater than the love between a husband and a wife. How are we doing at that? Very quiet. Could be, better. could be better. There's no doubt. There's no doubt it could be better. There, if you think about, if you think about where we are in life and how much time we spend scrambling for our scratch, how much time we spend worrying about comforting ourselves, and how little time we spend doing what God calls us to do, that's your answer. What do you love more, life on this earth or God? You can tell by how you act and what you do and how you prioritize things. Now, listen, I understand. God given, has given us responsibilities. We have to be parents. We have to be spouses. We have to be good-abiding, law-abiding citizens. We have to go to work. There's, you know, there's still things to do on this earth. I'm not saying we abdicate those responsibilities, but those have to become secondary to the responsibilities that God has given us. And when they do, we begin to see that glory come. How about the next one? Love your neighbor as yourself. What do we do? That's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. What do we do about our neighbors? It's awesome that we sent some, some, some goods down to, to Florida. Those are examples. We all brought canned goods in or provided some funds so that our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, whether they're brothers and sisters in Christ or not, those folks in Florida who have a need, we have given to them. That's loving our neighbor a few states away. What about your neighbor next door? What about your coworker who works next to you? How are you loving them? 
They come to you with a burden. I don't have time for that. I've got to finish my job. I've got to get home. I've got to get dog food, make the, make, the, make the stew, whatever it is, right? Did you take the time to stop and listen to them? That might have been a difference between them being healed and them going to kill themselves. And we've heard testimonies recently like that. So stop and love your neighbor. It's so important. And these are the greatest commandments and all, these, all the other laws and the prophets, they hang. Very specifically, sacrificial love, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also loved us and has given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Pastor John just did a message on this just recently. It's not the world kind of love. Love your brother, love your sister, good to see you. It's the sacrificial love that makes the difference. What have you done to put your own desires aside, your own needs aside, to help someone in need? Bearing one another's burdens. I love the expression, a shared burden is half the load. Sometimes we keep our burdens to ourselves. That's no good either because then you're taking the opportunity for someone else to demonstrate sacrificial love to help you. So if you have a burden, share it. Find somebody. Don't blab it. Don't throw it up on Facebook if you don't have to. But find someone in confidence and say, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? And then someone who they talk to, if you're the recipient of that, take the time to listen. Take the time to pray. Take the time to weep. Take the time to console. Sacrificial love. Not superficial. Praise God. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore to him, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now there's an easy one. I mean, God is so good, we can continually uh, sacrifice our praise to him. And then, uh, you know, think about your week. How much have you offered praise to God? How much have you complained to him? How much have you gone to him as your source for your needs and not simply praised him for who he is. A sacrifice of praise. And it's a continual, through all your generations, morning and night, a continual sacrifice of praise. Doing good and sharing is the next verse, Hebrews 13, 16. But do not forget in all this praise to God to do good and to share. In other words, put some, some meat and potatoes behind your words. For such, uh, with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. Uh, you can bring vegetables too, not just meat and potatoes. I want to make sure we're clear on that. Uh, so, so doing good and sharing. Uh, how about praying without ceasing? First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of Christ of God in Christ for you. So these are ways that we can obey God continually. They're not. It's not that God's trying to get you to earn your salvation. These are demonstrations of the fact that you have received it. There's a difference. He's not laying down a, a set of rules of do's and don'ts like he did with the Egypt, uh, Israelites. He's showing you how to follow his ways because he wants to be with us. And if we choose to disobey him, he cannot be with us and therefore his glory will not shine through us and therefore he can't reach the lost who he so desires to reach. Luke 9.23 said, They said to him, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. Crucifying the flesh. We need to continually pursue the glory of the Lord. We need to chase after it. And we need to not hunger it for our own benefit or our own gain, but to know God. To know him. To know him as father. To know him as provider. To know him as Lord. And to serve him and to obey him. You know, I'll end with this image. This was uh, 
this week. I don't know if you guys, anybody noticed the full moon out there this week? Wasn't it glorious? It was beautiful. And, and, and Tuesday morning early, did anyone see the full lunar eclipse? Anybody? You guys saw it? I saw it. It, it was really interesting to see. Normally when you see the full moon up, and this was a blood moon this year, which, which, which means that, that the orbit of the moon is closest to the earth when it's in its full phase. And what happens when, that, when it's closest to the earth, particularly as it rises and sets, the, the, the reflected light of the sun comes through the earth's atmosphere and it gets diffused so it has a little bit of an orangey look to it. So that's why they call it a blood moon. But in this case, we had a blood moon lunar eclipse. So, so in, the, in, the, in the evening, the night before, we had this beautiful, glorious full moon rising up, shining bright. And, and it was a, you know, it's always spectacular to see on a clear night. But, but in the morning when I was out on my walk, uh, and the dawn hadn't quite, you know, it was, it was just starting to get light, but it was dark enough to still see stars and the moon. When I looked at the, the eclipted, fully eclipted moon, it was dull. It was like an orangey-red dullness. You, you saw it, Barbara. Uh, it was still round. You could see its roundness, and you knew what it was, but it had this really faded-out look, really funky. It was kind of cool-looking, really. Uh, and it's because, why? Because the shadow of the earth was blocking the sun it was, or the rays that it was trying to reflect. The shadow of the earth was in the way so that the sun that was behind the earth couldn't reflect off the moon back to us. And I thought to myself, as I was thinking about this message, it's where, it's where we are as a church. We, we have the glory of the Lord in us. He, he's there, but the world sees it as this muted kind of orangey, not sure what's going on. And the reason is, is the shadow of the things of this earth are in the way of letting his glory shine through us. We are so consumed with what we're going to eat, how we're going to take care of our house, whether our 401k is going up or down, and, 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 the, and the pressures of the day that we're not focused on the presence of God. We're not obeying him by loving him with all of our heart. And so the things of this earth are in the way of the glory of God coming through us. That's why we need to crucify our flesh and we need to be God-minded. We need to be spirit-minded. We need to walk in that and allow him then to begin to flow through us. And once you taste that, once you sense that, there's not going to be any turning back. I mean, it's going to be phenomenal what happens when we start to do that. It starts with us individually and then it grows exponentially as we do as a body here at Faith Christian Center. And then its contagion goes out to the other churches in the region because we're now loving our neighbor as ourselves. And you're going to begin to see a, 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 a revival like, like we haven't seen before. So the good news is this morning when I got up and looked out, the moon was bright again. The earth was no longer in the way and the shining of the sun reflected off it like it normally does. We can get there again. But I'm encouraging us, I'm exhorting us that we have to be focused on that daily continual sacrifice of realizing this is we're here as temporary sojourners and our everlasting resting place is in heaven with the Almighty God. That's where we're headed. And we want to bring as many people as we can with us when we go. So that's the sacrifice that's required to see the glory because His presence will be manifest with us as we obey Him. The next time we get together, we're going to talk about where the Lord lives and where His presence is and how that went through the Scriptures all the way up through Revelation where we're ultimately bound to be. And uh, that, that'll be a little bit more fun. But until we get the basics down, until we get the foundation down, 
until we get the roots planted in obedience to God, in walking it out His way and allowing Him to direct our paths because He's given us the Spirit to do that. Until we start doing those things, we're not going to get to where He wants us to be. You guys on board with me? All right. Let's pray about that. Because it's one thing to say, yes, Lord, we'll do everything you said. We saw the Israelites, they said that, and they didn't do it very well. Um, But God knew that. And so he made a way through Christ that we could do it by giving us his Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you at the end of this message, and we realize that we desire your, your presence always. We desire your, your glory manifest in us individually, in us as a church. And Lord, we repent where we have fallen short. We repent of not putting you first, loving you with our whole heart. Holy Spirit, show us how. We repent of turning our back on a neighbor or someone in need. Of not giving them a cloak, but just saying, we'll pray for you not giving them food to eat and just saying, God will take care of you. We repent. Show us how. Spirit of God, we we yield ourselves to you. Be Lord in our lives. Help us to walk this out the way Christ walked on the earth. For indeed, when you come back for us, we will be like you. We will be like the Lord. We will be that bride without spot and wrinkle. But we know that comes with full obedience to you. Show us how. And Lord, if we fall, if we fail, we know you are faithful and just when we confess our sins and change our ways, that you will forgive us. Your mercy are new every morning. Help us to move the cares of this earth, the cares of this world out of the way, that your light can so shine before men, that they would see our good works and turn and be saved. Thank you, Lord. We are so grateful for the sacrifice that you gave to us, that we could come to you, that the veil is now torn and we can be in your presence simply by obeying your word and confessing Jesus as Lord. And to that end, I ask any of you who may be watching online, who are in the sound of my voice here in the house. And I ask you, if you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord, tonight's a good night to do that. There's no reason to wait. Because when you invite him into your home and into your house, the house being your body, when you allow him to lead you and guide you, you'll never be the same. And you can be assured that death will have no power over you. Yes, you will leave this body, but you will never be separated from the Lord. So you'll never have a fear of dying because you'll be saved if Jesus is your Lord. So if that's you and you haven't ever asked that question, Jesus be my Lord, I ask you this question. Do you want to be saved? Do you want Jesus to be your Lord? If you can say with, with a full heart, yes, that's me. I ask you to pray this prayer with me. And then follow up with a call to the church um, tomorrow 
or, or Friday just, just to tell them that this, was, this is a decision you've made and we're happy to get some information into your hands that will help you understand that. I mentioned earlier in the message when I, when I met the Lord uh, for the first time, I had an encounter with him. But it took a while for me after that encounter to start to walk in it. It may for you as well. But it starts with a prayer. So say this after me. Father, I ask you to be my Lord. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he was raised again. And he is seated with you in heaven. By his blood, I am washed clean. My sins are taken away. And by your spirit, I can now live for you. So, Father, from this day forward, I will look to you first and follow after your spirit and love you with all of my heart. And I thank you that you have saved me from my sins and the consequences of those sins. Amen. It is done. You have said so. And you have prayed and the Lord has heard that. So again, if you have said that for the first time, uh, or if it's been years since you have done that and you're refreshing or renewing your commitment, please reach out to the church and, and, and we'll connect with you. And uh, we're happy to help you understand. This is not about joining a church. It's about understanding. It's about God introducing himself to you, just as he did to the Israelites in the message tonight. It's a powerful and a mighty transition that, that all of us here has, have encountered, and we invite you to encounter it too. Let's now also pray over another sacrifice, which is the offering. It's a great privilege to give, and uh, of course it takes uh, money to, 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 to get this word 